morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you here, here today. And uh, I'm just going to put on my uh, little anti-stuttering earpiece here. And uh, we'll see if it, uh, if it works like it should. This week, we're uh, looking at the issue of being honest. And to warm us up, here's what I found when I googled memes about honesty. <laughs> and here's the first one. If you're listening to this later, what you have is a picture of a baby with her eyes wide open and the meme says, and that's how you got into mummy's tummy. Here's, here's the next one. Old, old people at weddings always poke me and say, you're next. So I started doing the same thing to them at funerals. <laughs> Honesty, right? And here's the picture of an interviewer. So why do you want this job? Well, I've always been really passionate about not starving to death. Honesty. Here's another one taking place in the interview room. Uh, we're looking for someone aged 20 to 26 with 30 years of experience. And then the last one, and I like this one, because I'm someone that never try, types LOL, and it says here, if you can't read it, it says, whenever I'm on my computer, I don't type LOL, I type LQ2, LQTM, laugh quietly to myself. It's more honest. So if you're not someone who actually laughs out loud at the computer, then feel free to start writing uh, LQTM. Here's a picture of uh, me and my older brother, Chris. Um, and here's one of our childhood memories. And if, don't stop me if you've heard this before, because as pastors, we only have so many stories, unless I start making it up, but this is about honesty, so I can't make up stories on a Sunday morning when I'm talking about honesty. But here's a, here's, this is me and my big brother, Chris, and this is one of our memories, childhood memories. We stood outside our school in our school uniforms, me and Chris, uh, waiting for for our school bus. Um, I was 11 years old, and the bus stop was on a hill, kind of slanting down to our left. And um, like usual at the end of the school day, you have school kids around you, all in their school uniforms. At least that's how it was in Wales. Not so much here. And over there behind us was the school, school teacher's car park. And the bus, we knew that the bus would be along in a few minutes. And still to this day, I don't know what overcame my brother, but his 13-year-old brain decided that it would be a good idea to take out a bottle of whiteout, okay, the stuff which you paint onto paper so that you can, it then hardens and then you can write over again if you've made a mistake. So he thought it would be a good idea to take out this bottle of wipeout um, and uh, he, he threw it over the hedge into the teacher's car park. The, um, yeah, and that was the end of the story. Um, but it wasn't the end of the story because I don't know if he took the lid off on purpose or if it was just loose. But my next me memory is sitting in my cigar smoking head teacher's office. Those were the days, right, where the head teacher could smoke a cigar around the school and it was okay. Oh. 
and I was, I was sat in his office and I was being yelled at because the, bottle, because the, because the bottle of correction fluid of, of uh, whiteout landed through the open sunroof of a teacher's car and apparently made a huge mess inside the said vehicle. And so I was sat there in front of this mammoth, hairy, cigar smoke smelling head, headmaster and I denied any knowledge of this ever happening and I could still see him as he yelled at me, I know you're lying. Because when you shout, your Welsh accent comes out more. I know you're lying. And I sat there, and in my 11-year-old mind and heart, I really struggled with the idea of lying, and, and particularly when you're sat in front of someone who knows that you're lying and was calling me out on, yet, on it, and yet I still I clung to that lie like it was a life jacket. But I was, I was split inside. I was really conflicted. There was strife inside um, because I was lying and I didn't want to lie. And uh, I remember as well wanting to cry really, really badly. And that may have actually happened. I, I've blocked that out of my mind, but I may have cried. If I lose mine honor, I lose myself. If I lose mine honor, I lose myself. So said Shakespeare. And one of the earliest things that we learn as children is that honesty is the what? Is the best policy. And as humans, uh, we value honesty in others, even if we don't necessarily practice it ourselves. Um, and in fact, one thing which, which you may have noticed, which is rather interesting, is that even in the moral landscape, in our, uh, or even as the moral landscape in our society has changed regarding sexuality, regarding drug usage, regarding euthanasia, regarding abortion, so even though all of that has maybe shifted, one of the moral constants that we've had, at least on paper, is that we, we value people who are honest. It's important that we are honest, and so we expect it in our children, and we hope for it in our, in our politicians and in our pastors. There's this word, which is integrity, and it's very much linked with the word honesty. But when we think of, of integrity, it's about telling myself the truth, and when we're talking about honesty, it's about telling you the truth. So and so said Spencer Johnson. And then Richard Faust had said this. He said, honesty is more than not lying. Honesty is more than not lying. It is, it is truth telling. It is truth speaking. It is truth living. And it is truth loving. So it's more than just not lying. And I like that. I like thinking of honesty being more than just not lying. You know, it, it, you know, it's actually telling the truth. It's not just the absence of something, but it's, it's the presence of something. It's not just the absence of something negative, but it's the presence and the cultivating and the living out of something positive in our lives. And so for the rest of this message, I will use this phrase, truth-telling, to help us grasp that at the center of the idea of honesty is this very real, practical, alive thing called truth, okay? That's right at the kernel. And so we use this word truthful, which simply means full of truth, full of truth, truthful, in the same way that a tin of baked beans is baked beans full, truthful. And when we're not truthful, 
when we're not full of truth, something happens. Our joy leaks out. Truth acts as the sealant that seals in our joy. Okay, truth acts as the sealant that seals in our joy. And we see this you know, very clearly in secret extramarital affairs. You know, maybe there's more excitement, you know, and the passion is, 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 is more, but the joy has left. Joy has been squeezed out because the natural sealant of truth-telling is no longer there. Our joy has leaked. We also see it when we try to work the system through lying. We may have saved you know, a few loonies, a few bucks, but we're not necessarily feeling any happier. Our joy has leaked. We also see it when we engage in shameful acts which no one else knows about. Our joy leaks. We also see it when we aren't honest with those that we love. Our joy has leaked. And Psalm 32 verse 3 paints in vivid color the image of someone who's running away from truth-telling as fast as they can. Psalm 32 verse 3, if you have a Bible, turn to it. Because what I say is only marginally exciting, but what we read in the Bible is always exciting. Psalm 32 verse 3 says this, When I kept silent... My, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And we know, we all know what it's like to spend a day at the beach and you've done nothing. But then you come home and you're exhausted. Well, that's what this is talking about. That's what happens when we keep silent. And God has used this verse numerous times to lead me back into a place of repentance. Sometimes we're so hard-headed, right, that we refuse to repent. We cannot face the truth. And so we avoid it and we hide in the shadows, thinking that we will find some kind of a solace there in the shadows, but we don't find it. Because it's in the shadows that we experience God's heavy hand of loving conviction as it weighs on us like a soaking wet fur coat weighing on us. Psalm 51 verse 6, six says this, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the, in the inmost place. Recently, uh, Sean and Kim were telling me that one of their dogs during a thunderstorm walked, walked into the garage and just faced the most interior corner that this dog was able to find. As far away from the thunderstorm as he was able to physically move himself and he just stood there in the corner and he looked at the wall. And we do that, right? Is that when we're faced with this rather disquieting truth of our sins, 
We tend to run and hide and we find a corner and we face that corner and we hope that this sin and the consequences of this sin will somehow magically vanish if we're not looking at it. We act like it's not there. But God, in his, his loving grace, his loving grace weighs us down with this knowledge that things aren't okay He wants to draw us out into truth-telling. He wants us to see that there is nothing to be afraid of if we're honest with him. There's nothing to be afraid of if we're honest with him. Because for God, honesty equals relationship. Truth-telling equals trust. And so God wants to draw us out into this freedom where we can tell the truth where we don't have to lie, where we don't have to hide. And so I'd like to ask our ushers now if you could come round and hand out the bread. What I ask you to do as the bread's being handed out is that if you're in a relationship with the Lord or this is the moment when you want to choose him as your Lord and Savior, then I would ask you to, 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 to uh, have that bread and to hold on to it until we all receive it. And the ushers, once you've served the bread, please come forward and sit on the front row. So when we read what the book of Proverbs has to say about honesty, we have to get rid of any legalistic notion in our minds that honesty is good simply because honesty is good. Okay? We think that, right? That honesty is good because honesty is good. But that's not true. Honesty is good because of a reason. There is a reason for it. And the reason for that is this, is that honesty is the foundation of any relationship. Honesty is good because honesty is the foundation of any relationship. And so if honesty is the foundation of any relationship, then once that truth-telling has been compromised, we're, we're left with nothing but the shattered remnants of what used to look like a relationship. It's a farce, it's a fake, it's a knockoff. And so Psalm 51 verse 6 is not so much God, so, so when God says, I desire truth on the inward parts, that it's not so much God saying to us, you, you've been a bad boy or a bad girl. This isn't God coming to us with a big stick. But what this is, is God saying to us, I want you back. He's saying to us, I want, I want this relationship. I miss our relationship And the way that you can come back home is along the road known as truth-telling. The honesty will bring you back into relationship with me. I desire truth in the inner parts. God is saying, I want to know and experience the real you, not a fake you. So let's look at some of the Proverbs with the understanding that honesty equals relationship and if you're interested, I don't know if you're interested, but I managed to find like five pages worth of Proverbs which were about this one thing. So it's there. There's a lot. It's not something that God is shy about exposing. Truth-telling is high on God's priority list. You don't have to wonder about what God feels about the subject. He's quite clear. For example, 
in Proverbs 6, verse 16, says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So if you were to scan that and look and see how many of these things that God hates are connected with lying, you would see things like a lying tongue. You would see things like a heart which plans and devises wicked schemes. You would see a false witness who pours out lies. And even you'd see something like a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That's often, often closely allied with lying. And you, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world to see how the other three things in this list of seven can also be connected with lying. And so we have to pause here. Because what this says is that God hates this stuff. God hates it. And knowing that God hates these things should shock us. Because this means that you and I have the power to draw out such a powerful reaction from a God whose very nature is love. God is love. That's in the Bible. God hates a lying tongue. That's in the Bible. God is love. God hates a false witness who pours out lies. God is love. God hates a person who stirs up conflict. And we say, hate the sin, but love the sinner. But that's not the language that we're reading here. And so what I'd like is for us to take a few moments to think about this truth that God hates those that lie. And what this means is that this isn't a small sin because lying fractures relationships. Lying rips apart communities. Lying splits churches. Lying causes rifts in families that go on generation after generation after generation. And so as you're thinking about this, what I want you to also think of is that on that cross, Jesus became the one with haughty eyes. Jesus became the one with a lying tongue. His hands became those that shed innocent blood. His heart became one that devises wicked schemes. His feet became quick to rush into evil. He, Jesus on the cross became a false witness who pours out lies. And Jesus became someone who stirs up conflict in the community. Because the perfect son of God took on these sins, our sins, and he made them his very own. So let's have a moment and let's have silence. And as, as we're having this moment in silence, we, we will have some music playing in the background. But just, but just let God, let Jesus, let, let, let the Holy Spirit... Speak into your life, and if you need to thank him, thank him. If there's anything that, that you have to confess, now's your opportunity.
are love. You hate sin. God is love. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you became Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 for us. That you took on those very sins that you hate and that you broke their power and that you welcome us into the freedom that you won for us on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In faith, let's eat this, knowing that it was for you that Jesus became Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, and that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's eat the bread, remembering. In Proverbs 12, verse 19, it says, truthful, truthful lips, let's have it on the screen, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Truthful lips last forever, but a lying tongue only lasts a moment. Proverbs 13, verse 5, the, the righteous hate what is false, but the wicked make themselves a stench, and they bring shame on themselves. Proverbs 13, verse 5. Ones who, one whose heart is corrupt never prospers. One whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. Proverbs 17, verse 20. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. Proverbs 19, verse 5. And on and on and on it goes in the book of Proverbs. Proverb after proverb after proverb after proverb. <clears throat> last, last, last week I, I talked about how workaholism can be viewed as the acceptable sin. You know, it's, it's a sin, but it's not really a sin. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, in the same way, there are lies that we tend to write off as not really lies. For example... What about faking a lack of interest in something in order to drive down its price? Should we consider that lying or is that merely doing uh, smart business? Proverbs 20 verse 14. Um, can, you, can you go back to Proverbs 20 verse 14 please then? So is that lying or should we consider that smart business? In Proverbs 20 verse 14 it says this. It's no good, it's no good, says the buyer, then goes off and boasts about their purchase. What about stacking things slightly in your favor for your own advantage? What about misleading someone just a little bit? Well, here, unequal weights are an abomination. Is it wrong to stack things slightly in your own favor, to mislead someone a little bit? Let's read this all together. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. What about saying something uh, and then never getting around to actually doing it? This is perhaps one of the pastor's greatest sins. We're so full of grand schemes and ideas, but seeing them through, well, that's a whole, whole other thing. 
What about um, saying to, to friends that, that you're planning to do something good for someone else, but then you never actually get around to it? You know, life is really busy, things happen, um, but then you never tell your friends that you didn't actually do that thing that you were planning to do for someone else. Is it extreme to call that lying? After all, you know, like I said, life gets really busy. The one who boasts about a gift that does not exist is like the clouds end without rain. Proverbs 25 verse 19. Okay, so there's some real practical things there in the, in the book of Proverbs that perhaps helps us narrow our view of what honesty and lying is. And God values honesty. Remember this because honesty equals relationship. So why do we lie? Everything that we do, we do to serve a purpose or to meet a need, and that includes lying. And there's an article in in this psychological magazine that helps us understand why we avoid uh, truth-telling. Here are some of the reasons listed. While we don't want to lie, here's the first reason. We we don't want to lie because we don't want to disappoint others. How many of you have ever lied because you don't want to disappoint someone? Have you ever done that half-truth? Yeah, thanks for your honesty. Uh, What about we lie because lies snowball? We tell one lie, and then we have to tell another lie in order to protect that lie. Then we have to tell, and then they branch off, and we're telling multiple lies all to protect this one lie. Have you ever done that, where you're trying to keep track of uh, what was the first lie? I don't even remember. What about this one? We lie because if we tell the truth, then we, then we have to give up our control. We have to give up control. Telling the truth means giving up control. Have you ever lied because because telling the truth would mean giving up control? I know that I have. Because as long as I lie, I'm in control of the situation. But as soon as I tell the truth, I'm relinquishing control of that situation. It's now out of my hands like a bird that I've just set free. I'm not sure what will happen, where it will go. And so our reasoning goes something like this. I'd rather have my current life of secrets than risk stepping into truth-telling. I'd rather be in control and sacrifice any chance of real relationship than risk opening my true self up to someone, even God. Maybe especially God, because if I'm closed, then I'm safe. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain, so says Simon and Garfunkel. Now, I would like the ushers to hand around the cup. And as you receive the cup, please hold on to it. Meditate on this truth that Jesus' blood was poured out for, for you. And ushers, after you, you're done, please come back to the front row again. Now, some of us have such a wrong view of, of God. We can feel this kind of brooding displeasure weighing over us like this cloud, like, like this threatening cloud. And so we fear coming to God in, in honesty because we know that we've lived lives of lies and we know that we've avoided avoided truth-telling many times, and that these lies have actually become um, like a wall around us that helps us keep safe, and yet still God says, I desire truth on the inward parts. There was this young man that I met um, in Venezuela, and he had wrapped around him this 
gray, stiff, filthy blanket, and he, he, he had it wrapped around him like a mother's hug, you know? It was so important to him, so precious to him. And uh, through, the, through the course of maybe two or three weeks, uh, I actually built a, a, a relationship with him. And eventually he showed me a wound in the belly um, through which I could see his insides actually poking out his, his intestines. It was a mess. And my heart really broke for him. And I wanted to help him. I wanted to, to help him make a connection with someone who would give him what was needed. Yeah, you can uh, put it and then I'll serve you. But whether it was the, the, the language breakdown or fear, after, after that moment when he showed me that hole in the belly, he never returned. I never saw him again. And what caused him to reject any help that may have been on offer was fear. He returned to what he knew, what was safe, what he understood. And so when we read Psalm 51 verse 6, we are not to read it uh, like, like God's angry at us. When God says that he desires truth in the inner parts, that it's a pleading. And we should read it as an invitation in, into honesty, because honesty equals relationship. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And so God wants me to truth tell, not uh, because that's where he meets the true me. And that's where I meet the true him. And that's where I'm invited up to the table of relationship with him. But the entrance fee is saying the truth. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Verse 5. Let's read this all, all together. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Incredible. We are going to move into the Lord, lean, lean into him. Is that, and that when we come to him in confession, he forgives us the guilt of our sin. That's what that psalm says. And so what that means is that when we confess to God, it's like removing our dirty blanket. And it's showing God our wounds of sin so that he can move in close, so that he can lay his hands on us, and so that he can heal us. Thank you, Jesus. Because sometimes our sin can feel like a labyrinth that we will never find our way out of. But Jesus alone can bring in explosives and turn that labyrinth into a straight road. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14 verse 6. And the way that he did this was through the cross that that his sacrifice, that when he died, it was the explosive that blasted through the wall that separated us from a holy God, uniting us once again with this God that loves us so much. Jesus said, you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. And truth isn't a concept here in this context. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. We will know Jesus and he will set us free. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So let us drink this cup, remembering this fuse that Jesus lit on the cross and these walls that that came down as he, as, as he sacrificed himself, as he breathed his last. And let's remember this whole, this way that opened up as he rose again. Let us humbly and thank God for this incredible gift. Let us drink. And so we can praise God for this gift of truth-telling. We can praise God for the gift of Jesus who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. John 1 verse 14. What I hope we've, we've learned here today is that honesty is not an item on a checklist. It's not something that we have to achieve. But what honesty is instead, honesty is God's language. And if we want to relate to him, then we need to speak his language which means that we can bring to him what is real, the ugly and the shameful and the sinful. We can bring him the real us. We can remove our gray blankets, stiff with dirt of living on the, on the, on the streets of sin. We can show him our wounds, our infections, our sores. There is freedom as we confess our sin. There is freedom in telling God what he already knows about us. Because it's as, we're, as we confess that we're freed to repent. It's as we open up to God that we invite his physician's hands to reach into the deepest part of us and to heal us, to fix us, and to restore us. He will forgive the guilt of our sin. And so lying is safe. Lying is dark and comfortable and known, but lying is lonely. Whereas when we tell truth, we are welcomed into real community because honesty equals relationship. And it all starts with maybe having the courage to say the truth to our Heavenly Father and then, and then to allow him to lead us into a life of truth-telling with each other. Psalm 32 paints a fork in the road. We either keep silent and feel God's heavy hand on us, or we speak out in confession and repentance, and we experience the indescribable reality of God cleansing us of the guilt of our sin. This isn't just about feeling better. This is about being, be, being declared free of guilt in the highest court in the universe. But even more than that, even better, this is about being welcomed home to a full and an unhindered relationship with God because, God, because honesty equals relationship. 